As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm really excited to be back with the latest episode. Also really excited to have a first-time guest. As our viewers and listeners know, I love bringing on first-time guests and introducing them to our audience for the first time. Uh, So Jill, Raf, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start is to get you to tell us perhaps a little bit about your backstory or your journey for those listeners and viewers who may be discovering you for the first time. Sure. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. So my background, I have a very diverse background, actually. And starting with my childhood, I think, has really given me the foundation for what I'm doing now. And I feel like it's truly my purpose and and value uh, for the work that I'm doing and, and just interacting with people, which is that my parents opened McDonald's number 150. And that was in the first, like, five years of McDonald's. And it was... Um, really the gold star of restaurant industry at the time and the gold standard. And, and I really learned about putting customers first and putting people first and the value of working hard, hard work ethic of connecting with people, of smiling, of looking at them in the eye, all of these things. And even from the business side, you know, making sure your product was great and always thinking about the customer first, customer impression. And as I went on throughout my life, I followed my dreams. I always wanted to be a fashion designer. And um, that, that was my, my first life, what I call my first life. I was a fashion designer. Uh, later on, I've always loved to cook and bake and of course my food upbringing. So I also went to uh, Le Cordon Bleu and became a food stylist, used that towards food styling. That was after my fashion um, <laughs> career. And I'm also a licensed real estate agent in New York and Texas. And the thing, and now working as a customer experience strategist, the thing that really is the common denominator in all the careers and, and that I've done is that I'm concerned about giving and serving my customers and putting their interests first. Wow. So first of all, uh, that's quite the unique journey. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that journey before. Um, so I, I love that. I love hearing when people have really cool, unique stories. Uh, I guess in terms of you know how you help people and, and what you're sort of passionate about, what would you say is, is the catalyst that really, I mean, I know you, you told us about your backstory, but what's sort of the catalyst that drove you in that direction? It was my move to Austin, Texas from New York City. And uh, while I got my license here in Texas, as I mentioned previously, I really felt like, yes, I, you know, I love real estate and it's very natural, but I felt like I'm not serving enough people in a broader way. And I'm not just, I didn't want to just work um, in real estate or even one company where I'm just working and helping those people. I wanted to have a broader impact. And I realized that with my background, with the creative side, with the business side, the, the curiosity that I'm not using even a fraction of my skills, my experiences by doing only real estate. And I thought, okay, 
I'm in a new city. I don't think they need another realtor, even though I'm doing that business and I, and I love getting referrals, but I honestly, I'm very visual and I thought of it, I see it as this funnel and that I kind of just put in all my background and my training and my experiences and my foreign languages, everything that I do. And it kind of extruded to me of this business as a customer experience strategist, because it was like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. It's what's driving me. It's what I'm so obsessed with. I truly am obsessed with it. I love it. And it was like, that's it. It just all fed right into this. And so are you familiar with a guy named John DeJulius? John DeJulius. Is that? A, no. I don't. It, well, I asked because, uh, so years earlier, and I, I've kind of moved in a different direction. But when I started my speaking career, I spent a lot of time in the customer experience, service, innovation, satisfaction world, you know, talking about mm -hmm. how to create customer experiences. And he's one of the people that kept coming up over and over again as well. So I wasn't sure if you're familiar with him, but he does a lot of work with uh, the Disney's of the world and Starbucks, but he also um, runs an event once a year where he brings in people to talk about customer culture and experiences. And on top of that, how it all started for him is he started a thing called John Roberts salon and that became an award-winning hair uh, salon business. And he basically almost built his customer culture and experiences and all the stuff he teaches you, you know, firsthand working in a high turnover industry, meaning the, the hair business. And yes. so I, I just, I was curious if you may know of his work or not, but he's somebody for yourself and also listeners. It's worth checking out. He has two books called, um, I think, what is the secret and the customer secret or something like that. Uh, but why I bring all this up, there's a reason I'm driving at all this is he actually uh, revealed that they did a study through his group, where they found that the majority of companies they surveyed said that they delivered an amazing customer experience. But when they surveyed the customers of those customer companies, uh, they gave the opposite report. And so my question out of all of that, Jill, is A, does that surprise you? Or you may have even heard of a similar study. Or, and B, the second part is, why do you think after all this time in history of us understanding what customer experiences are and what customer service is, why, is it still so hard for us to get it right? So oh that's a two-part question. Yes. And, and a big like one. Burns in me. Um, yes. In fact, it's, it's something that I use in my talk and I will definitely look him up. So thank you for that and, and reach out to him. Maybe I can help add value to the work that he's doing. So in fact, Forbes did a study and they showed that 80% of entrepreneurs, business owners, feel that they're delivering an outstanding customer experience while only eight single digit eight percent of customers agreed with that. So you've got 80 to eight, right? 10%. It's, it is just mind blowing for me. And you are so right that why? Like to me, they're just, it is so simple to get it right. And I'm not saying the business, it is very complex. It's multi-layered. It's an onion. I get it. But my, so I've created a customer experience transformation process. And step number one is establishing your core values and your mission statement. And, and, but it's not just that simple. You have to incorporate the customer first value as a part of that. And then throughout the other steps, everything that you do needs to be reflected back. And is that in alignment with that value? And if you are doing that in your business, then there's no way that you can 
go wrong with making sure that your customers feel that they are the most important thing and that you are honoring their decision to do business with you. You know what? It, it's, it's amazing to that point that I love how you, you define that if you're doing it, there's no way you cannot do it. it to me, it's almost like it's, it's, this is reaching a bit, but you know, the idea that if you're just kind to everybody you meet and truly kind and sincere and it's coming from the right place, it's hard to build a lot of enemies and it's hard not to even be successful in whatever you're doing if you're just kind, but people, and as, as a general rule, we try to make it way more complicated than that. But I'll tell you also where that question drove from is I read a book oh, years ago called um, crown, crown the customer or crowning the customer mm-hmm. by a guy named Fergal Quinn. And the book I think was written in the seventies. It's about a Quinn supermarket chain that he built and they were doing stuff that we're, we're still not caught up with yet. Like he was way ahead of his time. Um, like an example of one of the things which we hear about now is ba- way back in the seventies, his managers had the least comfortable offices. He wanted them on the floor. So he would have the, like he would give them a desk that where the door opened and it hit their desk every time so that they would be forced <laughs> or he put on the, and he openly told them this, he put on the air conditioning in the winter so that they would oh, have to get God. out and work the floor. And his whole thing is you can't make magic happen up here. And you can't tell what's going on up here in the head, like the head office type thing. So why I bring this up though is in his book, he talked in the seventies about, he felt we were in a customer revolution and it seemed like we were finally getting it and we were turning the corner and customer service would become amazing in the eighties and the nineties and beyond. And here we are all these years later. And even what he taught in his book, if you just practice what you learned in his book, you would probably be in the top 5%. And yet here we are all, all these years later, and there's probably more of a percentage of companies that aren't getting it right. So that's why I want to ask you that question. So I guess the second part is, if somebody's listening to this, and obviously the, the real answer is, you know, you've created a system, there's systems out there people can follow. But let's say they're, they feel they're not there yet, and they said to you, where can I start? What's one thing I could do? Are there one or two things that you could recommend people could start doing right away to at least start improving what they're doing? Yeah, sure. I would say again, you know, using my framework as as kind of a premise is most even and I think smaller businesses, even solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, maybe they don't establish, they don't take the time. There's like they had this great idea, they're hot to get it going, but I don't think they take the time to say, what are we about? Where's our core values? Establish your core values and establish a mission statement, as I said previously, where you're incorporating that respect for your customers. And then number one. And always refer back to that when you do your hiring. So my, my step number two is asset aligned hiring. Hire people who are in alignment with that value, who have the same character and appreciation and work ethic. So yes, you still need to educate them, which is farther in my framework, but it's going to be much easier because they come by it naturally and it's what they appreciate and it's who they are as a person. And I do believe that what always previously was referred to as customer service. And it's what I come from. It was always customer service. But to me at this point in this day and age, and I love the way you talk about the progression of it. And sadly now the regression of where we are, but the customer service piece to me is equatable to a transaction. And a transaction is nothing but a cold exchange of goods and services for money. It's a, it, there's no, no human involvement. There's no emotional there. But so to me, a service is transactional. And instead, when you're doing, creating an experience, 
then you're having an interaction. And I believe that we need to transform transactions into interactions. And so your interaction is where really that's, that's the genuine part. That's what matters most. And that's not just a cold transaction. That's your interaction. And that's where you're going to succeed. So a higher according to those values. And, you know, after that, if you already in business and you have a full staff, my third step is your, what I call strategic asset review. And that's basically look at exactly the opinions. It goes back to that um, stat that we started with the 80 to, to eight do honest an evaluation, go in, have someone from the outside who's not involved emotionally do interviews. One of the things I do, I interview stakeholders and owners and managers and staff and customers and all levels of the business and really see honestly, what is the perspective and is that perspective different from yours as an owner? And I bet you will find that it is. Yeah. It's interesting when you say that too, Jill, because I, I think another thing that people should be doing uh, is buying from their own company. What is, what is their sales cycle? What does their customer cycle look like? And there's a, an owner of a, a Tim Hortons franchise mm -hmm. in the local area where I grew up. And what he does is he actually gets his friends when they're in town from away or whatever to drive through his Tim Hortons. And then he says, report back, tell me, give me a phone call and tell me what was the experience exactly. like. And he makes changes according to that. You know, as much as you can within a franchise infrastructure, he makes changes that are unique, but I will tell you that he's in a smaller area and he has by, per capita, probably one of the largest Tim Hortons franchises. I think he has, I might be wrong in this now, but I think he has over 20 locations and a population of 150,000. Wow. And, That's and they're, and they're crushing it. Like you go through the lines are full and here's one little tiny example of something that he did. And I think if I remember correctly, it was because one of the people that went through said, you know, and it's not just you guys, but it's, Franchisees in general, when I go through a drive-thru, I don't feel very, it's very personal. So he came up with the idea that what they do now is let's say I was going through the drive-thru, or let's say uh, a, a guy was on the, the drive-thru set and was serving me, then he would say, Jill will get your money up at the window, thank you. Yeah, and that's simple, use the name. Yes. Use the name. And then now, whether we like it or not, now I have a connection to Jill because I know Jill's name and now Jill's a human behind there. And there's so many things that come from that tiny little switch. But he does things like that. And, and if a customer is unhappy and they walk in, the employee knows they're empowered to make the change. They don't have to go to the manager and say, can I do this? So it's so weird, like the tiny little things that you can make the change on. But again, it goes back to your point about being your own shopper. You know, whether it's bringing somebody like you in to interview people and find out what's really going on, or whether it means doing that sort of mystery shopper thing where somebody comes through and reports back, I think we really need to know what's going on internally, which is, I think, a big takeaway there. Absolutely. And I love, thank you for mentioning the empowerment of your employees. That is huge. And it also goes towards, you know, the retention is a, is a major problem, the turnover. And so if you make your employees feel important and respected and an integral part of what you're doing, then they're going to be vested in your success and they're not going to, you're not going to have the turnover problem. One of the things I say is, you know, E cubed, right? You educate your, your employees, you empower your employees and then you entrust them. You, once you've educated them, you let them know they have the power to make some decisions, to not have to you know, have one person in charge, but to do things right from the beginning. And then you've got to just entrust, let them set them out there, let them show you, prove you right. 
and let them trust that they're going to do right by you. Awesome. Well, Joe, as we wind down, and I know there's never enough time. I know we barely scratched the surface. We were just getting on this roll. So I'm going to, with your permission, call it a to be continued. And we'll make this almost, I won't call it part one into part two, but it'll be, we'll know it's a part one, a part of two parts. Um, here's a question I have before I ask you the last official question and then find out how we can learn more. Um, but with this whole customer service thing I mentioned, it's something I was really passionate about. I still am, but I don't speak on it as much. But I used to talk about, as you said, about where I used to say I felt we went through um, phases. So we were customer service. Then I said we were customer satisfaction. Uh, then customer engagement, then innovation. And now I think we're in customer personalization, where a customer wants it to be fully about them, uh, which is why, you know, when you think about reality TV and all these things, it's all about the customer now. Uh, they're part of the experience, if you will. Yes. Um, but my question out of all this is, I was so passionate about it that I even then I never ever did it. And it wasn't really my calling to do it. But have you ever thought about uh, delivering at some point a TED Talk on this? Because I believe that the customer experience right now is going in the wrong direction. And I also think that people don't seem to be paying attention or caring. Like I know, and this is, I'm openly saying this as a person that sort of represents new media. But I remember when I was going out to media saying, we got to talk about this. And I was going out, they didn't have any interest in talking about the fact that people are having poor customer experiences every day. But yet they'd say, well, we'll bring you on to talk about leadership or success or anything else. So anyway, I just think this is something that needs to get out more to the masses. So I just wanted to put that out there that you should consider at some point, uh, figure, you know, bringing it to the masses in a big way and being that sort of champion. Um, so I just wanted to add that, I guess, Thank and you can you. tell your thoughts, tell me your thoughts on that. But then I have a follow-up question, which is if you, uh, Jill Rapp, could jump into a time machine and go back and talk to a younger version of yourself and tell her maybe a piece of life advice or two, whether it's personal or on customer service or about whatever it is, what do you think you might tell her? So maybe I just asked you two questions in one there. Mm, oh my goodness. Um, yes, I have. And I definitely on my list of, I do want to deliver a Ted talk because I do feel so strongly about this message. And it's when I realize that by connecting as a human to another, that connection with people married with business means success for the business, which means success for the owner, the employee, the customer, for the community, because you give back. To me, it's this beautiful, perfect synergistic cycle. And when I realized those things really came together is when I became totally obsessed and realized I, this is my purpose. I have to get this message out there. So yes, TED Talk is definitely on my radar. So thank you for <clears throat> reinforcing that for me. And gosh, um, what would I tell a younger Jill? Uh, goodness. So, you know, I, 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 part of my initial thought was as I'm searching, well, you know, maybe fear, don't let fear stop you. But the truth is for the most of my life, I never did. Um, I really followed my dreams, which is why I've lived across the world and done all these different careers and things that I've done. But it was interesting that when I decided to, even though I've had my own businesses, this one, which is so means so much to me. I, I saw a little bit of fear creeping up, which was really bizarre because that was not part of my MO and made it very uncomfortable for me. So I think, I, um, you know, I would look back and just say, stick to your guns, stick to your dreams, go for what you want. Don't worry what other people think about you and have that confidence and 
that should be enough to take you and know that that will get you where you want. And, um, I'm, I'm working on that myself. So, um, you know, that Ted talk, that's, that's going to be a part of it. Awesome stuff. Well, Jill, this has been an absolute pleasure. And so I said unofficial question. So the very last one is where can we connect with you and learn more? Thank you. So you can connect uh, on my website, which is my name, Jill Raff, and Raff is spelled R like Robert, A-F-F like French fry. So it's jillraff.com. And if I could, I'd like to offer a, a gift for your listeners. Yeah, please do. Go, go to jillraff.com slash CX checklist. CX is short for customer experience. So it's jillraff.com slash CX checklist. Awesome. Well, like I say, Jill, Raf, this has been an absolute pleasure. It is absolutely a part one unofficially of two parts. Uh, so we'll circle back and bring you back on. And thank you so much for bringing some magic today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.